Okay, I'm going to start uh, again tonight in Ephesians 5, and uh, we may migrate from there, but uh, I'm going to do a brief recap on what we talked about last time, just to try to hit some high- highlights there, but um, the topic again is, is marriage, and we're still talking about the, the grace-filled life, so, so tonight, you know, you can think in terms of the grace-filled uh, marriage, or being graceful uh, in our marriage relationship, um, I'm going to be use, I'm using a, a lot of this material that I'm that I'm looking at here is is coming from uh, this uh, book by Dave Harvey, "When Sinners Say I Do," and and uh, it's an excellent, excellent treatment of uh, of marriage, good gospel-centered treatment of of marriage. <laughs> All right, um, so as I said, we'll start in Ephesians. Let me. Get there and Paul's instructions here, and um, the three-point outline that I'm kind of walking through here that he that he gives in, in just one little part of the book. Um, he he um, gives what he calls the three compo- three components of a solid biblical the- theology of marriage, and um, they are number one the found the foundation of marriage. This is what we talked about last time. The foundation of marriage, which of course is the Bible. And then, the, number two, the fountain of marriage, which is the gospel. And number three, the focus of marriage, which is the glory of God. And I want to come back to that, but we did bleed over into that one a little bit last time. But that's hard not to do. <laughs> Anytime you're uh, talking about something from Scripture, you almost inevitably end up uh, talking about the glory of God and the gospel, for that matter. All right, so um, the foundation... Of marriage, and I'm going to go ahead and give you a couple points here before I read from Ephesians 5, and we'll, we'll kind of see how, how that fleshes out. But um, what Dave Harvey says in his little book is we must get our interpretation and understanding of God and reality from Scripture. Now, his, his whole point here, I should mention this, his whole point here is that um, to... to See how can I say this? To have a good marriage, or in other words, do do what we're supposed to do in our relationships, take our marriage seriously. His whole point here is that we need to be good theologians first, because um, the Bible is the foundation of marriage. Now, I listened to a um, guy the other day. I believe his name was Ryan Alexander. He's with the Heritage Foundation, and he gave a uh, a talk, a lecture um, on why it's, it's very good if you want to find it online, but probably hour long. I don't know, maybe not that long. But he gave a very good lecture on why same-sex unions are not marriage. So, or, or you could say it positively: um, why marriage is a union, special union between a man and a woman, one man, one woman, um, for a lifetime. And he did that, and I'm telling you it was good. This may sound a little strange, but he did that strictly from a philosophical standpoint. So, you know, he said at the beginning of his lecture, I'm not going to deal with uh, theology. I'm not going to deal with morality uh, because at this conference they were at, other people had those assignments. So he said, I'm not going to deal with theology or morality. I'm just coming at it strictly from a, from a philosophical standpoint. And, uh, at, you know, as a, obviously, as a Christian, we, we, we know that more than that has to be said. But um, 
it, it was it was very very good, and and then he did a Q and A afterwards, and and uh, it, it was just uh, he did an excellent job, excellent job. But we know as Christians, as I said, that uh, even though all those things that all those arguments that he used are true, um, it goes further than that, and and that marriage. Um, was invented, you might say, by God. It was instituted by God. God is the one who, who designed marriage as a special covenant relationship between one man, one woman for, for life. So, so um, it's important you know, to, to, to have the Bible as our, as our foundation when we try to understand what marriage is, just like anything else. You know, the quote I read a minute ago, we must get our interpretation, and this is true, we must get our interpretation and understanding of God and reality from Scripture. I mean, that's all reality. So that's true of marriage as well. Our, our understanding and interpretation of marriage needs to come from Scripture. From Scripture. Christ is the truth. John fourteen six. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, uh, Jesus said. So, to know Christ is to know truth, and truth-based marriages are inherently, therefore, Christ-centered. So, as, as um, the foundation of our, our, our marriage, um, and again, just in terms of thinking of it theologically, it's, it's always Christ-centered. Christ is at the center of it. As God's Word fills marriage with eternal and glorious significance, it is both the evaluative standard for marriage and the key to joy in marriage. So this is what he means by the foundation, all, all of these things. Um, marriage, uh, Scripture is the standard for marriage, I was saying a moment ago. Uh, and, and even though, as I said, this one guy, uh, Ryan Alexander, made a great case Without using Scripture, he could do that because uh, God has revealed, made certain things known um, just through nature, natural order of things. Uh, even though he could make a, a, a great case without going to Scripture, ultimately, um, Scripture has to be the foundation. I mean, everything else is going to fall a, a little short. It, it is our standard. So it is the evaluative standard for marriage. That's what defines marriage. That's how we know what marriage is. And it is the key, the author goes on to say, to joy in marriage. And that brings us to uh, the second point. But before I get there, let me, let me go ahead and, uh, and read Ephesians 5 here. Still thinking in terms of what, what marriage is and what it is to look like. Remember he said, our understanding of all reality should come from Scripture. Because the Scripture is truth. Jesus is truth. So to know Him is to know truth. Our marriage, if it's if it's ordered right, then Jesus is at the center. So so we look to Him. We look to His Word for understanding of what marriage is. Okay. So verse twenty twenty one, um, Ephesians five twenty one, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, the reason I read verse 21 is because um, what Paul is doing here in these, in these following verses is telling us 
how verse 21 looks. In other words, what does it mean to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? Well, here's what it looks like. Wives submit to their husbands. Husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church. Children obey their parents. Bondservants obey their masters and, and so forth. Everybody submits to one another out of reverence for Christ according to the God-ordained roles that He has designed and, and placed us in. So, it looks like this, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of His body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now here's, uh, to use the term that Paul uses, profound, all right? Here's profound marriage theology. That is that marriage is designed to to do something. Here's the theology behind it that we're talking about here as as far as um, the Bible being the foundation for marriage. It it tells us what it's about, what it looks like, um, what its purpose is. Well, here it is. Paul says... Um, it's, it's, it's a mystery in verse 32 this mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church now he's saying this after he's just described uh, some things about the marriage relationship between a man and a woman the, the, the oneness the unity between man and woman the mutual love and honor um, how, the, how, the, how the woman submits to the man as head just as she submits to Christ, how the man loves his wife just as Christ loves the church and does all things for her good to, to make her holy, you might say, to, uh, well, it is what he says here, the way that Christ does the, the church. And so that's how the husband is to treat the wife. Now, here's the point in all this. This is not like, like just an analogy where, where Paul says, as though he's thinking, you know, he's thinking, what, what, what analogy could I use to describe the relationship between Christ and the church? Oh, yeah, here's one. This will work. Husband and wife. No, what he's doing here is talking about the very nature of marriage. Saying, um, in essence, that the whole reason for marriage is to mirror the relationship between Christ in between Christ and the church, so that just as 
Um, the church is submitted to the Lord. The wife is submitted to her husband. Just as Christ loves the church and lives and, and dies sacrificially for the church, so the husband loves, lives, and dies sacrificially for his wife. So this, this is a profound um, truth, Paul is saying, that this, this marriage relationship um, refers to Christ and the church. That's what we see on display there. So in other words, um, this is one way that, that, the, that the world sees what the relationship between Christ and the church is like. At least that's what it was designed for, so that, so that people could see what, what the relationship between Christ and the church is like. It's like a husband and a wife joined together. You become one. So just like husband and wife become one to never be separated again, Christ and the church are joined to never be separated again. So, so um, marriage mirrors that. Now, I went through all that kind of fast because um, we dealt with that last time. Let me go to the, the, the second point now, and we can ease off the gas pedal a little bit. But um, the fountain of, of marriage. Fountain of marriage. So we, and, and this is the gospel. Foundation of marriage is the Bible. The, the fountain of marriage is the gospel. Well, what is, what is he meaning there? Well, let me just start with a, with a question. Let me just th- uh, throw this question out. How, how is the gospel... How would you say the gospel is, is relevant to um, us living out the married life? Grace. That's a good way to sum it up. One word. <laughs> grace. Because the, the gospel shows us what grace is all about, right? And then when you think, and it's not a, and it's not a, a, a one-time thing. I mean, let's just think about Salvation for a moment. In fact, you know, you hear me often say, and this is one, one reason this is important, I think, that salvation is a process. Process. It, it's, it's not like, bam, it, it happened and it's over. No. God is continually pouring out His grace on His people. He graced us before uh, time was, before the world was, by choosing us. He graced us... Um, pre-salvation by, by, by keeping us alive to get us to the point of regeneration, where he would, where he would regenerate us. And then he graces us in regeneration. And I'm just hitting high points. Obviously, there's a million things in between all these. But then he, then he graces us with regeneration. And it doesn't stop there either. He just continues to grace us as we go on living this life um, in relationship with Him. And you see great examples of this in, in the Gospels. Um, and, I, and, I, I, you know, and I try to, uh, a lot of times, think of these things in terms of the, the marriage relationship because what you see when you see um, Jesus dealing with Peter and Philip and, um, you know, you name them, Matthew, what, what you see when you see Jesus dealing with these men is Christ, the husband, dealing with his bride, the church. And it's always gracious. Always. Always. He's always doing 
Um, even even when he rebukes them, he's always he always has their best interest at heart. Always doing what is good for them, and that and that's what Paul uh, says here. Uh, back in Ephesians verse 20, uh, five twenty five. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. So Christ gave himself up for the church so that he might make her holy, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, or you could say glorious, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So, sanctified, holy, and pure. That's, that's Christ's goal for the church, and that's what He's doing in us from the point of regeneration on. He's, and, of course, He'll bring it to completion um, when we leave this world. But He's, he's always working toward our, um, our holiness, our cleansing, our purity. Our, and it's hard to think. I mean, if we understand anything about sin, it's hard to think of us uh, being being uh, described in, with terms like splendor, glorious, or even um, you know without spot, without blemish, holy. But that's what Christ is doing. That's what He's doing in the church. He's He's morphing us into His image. And Paul is saying that's how the husband should be um, acting with his wife. He should be working toward her holiness. So, in this case, now, in this case, um, it's sort of like in, in evangelism. What do we do when we evangelize? We, we, we can't save them, but we, we point them to Christ. So, so similar here, a, a husband can't make his wife spiritually clean, right? But we can do everything um, within our power to help her in her, um, in her um, pilgrimage here in this world, and vice versa. And, that, and that's the purpose in wives submitting to, to husbands uh, and so forth. You know, we're here to aid one another in our, in our uh, sanctification. In our, in our relationship with the Lord, growing closer to Him and more knowledgeable about Him. All right, so the gospel is essential. Why? A couple things here. <clears throat> Without the gospel, not a couple, but a few. Without the gospel, you cannot see God, yourself, or your marriage for that matter, for what they truly are. You can't see God for who He is truly, correctly, accurately, without the Gospel. I can't see myself for who I am without the Gospel. I can't see myself accurately. I can't even see my marriage um, correctly without the Gospel because, again, it it mirrors this whole thing we've been talking about. uh, You know, Jesus living and dying for his bride. That's, that's what a marriage is about. And you cannot see your spouse for who he or she really is or understand his or her sins 
and need of grace. Without the gospel, you cannot see your spouse for who he or she really is. And you cannot understand their sins or their need for grace. Now, if we've been graced, that is, if we've experienced God's grace in our own lives, um, then we should understand something about the need for grace. And so the gospel informs us uh, about our, not only our need for grace, but others as well. And that, you know, that will drive us in evangelism. It will drive us in, in um, locking arms with people um, to, to help them uh, in the Christian walk. It will drive us in our relationship with our spouses. Because if we understand our own need of grace, then we'll understand their need for grace. And the truth is, what happens a lot of times is we don't really understand our own need of grace, and that's why we have a problem being gracious toward someone else, especially our spouses. Apart from a proper understanding of the gospel, there is no motive for extending grace to your spouse. But as sinners who are recipients of the grace of God, we are motivated to extend grace. Being a, uh, being a recipient of God's grace um, is a motivator to extend grace. In Matthew 10, 8, Jesus says um, to the twelve, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without paying. Or freely you have received, freely give. Recipients of grace are motivated to extend grace. All right, just another thought along those lines. <clears throat> Luke twelve forty eight. Jesus says, Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So to whom much is given, much is required. All right, the gospel gives perspective. By the gospel, we understand that although saved, we remain sinners. And that's, that's crucial, too. This is, this is uh, a way that uh, the gospel informs us in, in our marriages or, 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 you know, this provides this fountain of grace because we understand that um, it's not only my spouse who's a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. And, and I, would, I would never, ever... In fact, one of the greatest things about um, being a Christian, right, is that we're promised that uh, this, this grace flow from God is not going to shut off or dry up. I mean, we're promised, we're promised it for eternity. So, um, so that's the way we want to extend it as well. Understanding, I'm a sinner. I'm in need, I need grace. My spouse is a sinner. He or she needs grace. So, the gospel gives perspective. And the gospel gives power. Through the gospel, we receive power to resist sin. Here's a, here's a, um, a key thing to remember. And this is one, you know, the, one of the things that the author of this book mentioned that really kind of 
grabbed me. Um, I, I thought it was really good. Um, the, you know, you hear you hear people say, "We've all we've all done it or do it." Um, you know, uh, we we talk about marriage problems, and one of the things I like that he did in this book, I like it because I think it's biblical, it's true. But he says, "You know what? There's there's no there's no such thing as a marriage problem. It's not it's not your marriage that has a problem. It's you that has the problem." If, if there's a, quote, problem in my marriage, it's the problem's in here. Because I'm a sinner. So here's, here's, here's where, again, where this fountain of grace comes in. Not only does the gospel give us perspective, but it gives us power to, to resist sin. So the problem in, the, in my marriage is me, and I need to realize that. And... and uh, Paul, you know, Timothy says, um, this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Right? Numero uno. The supreme sinner. That, um, no doubt, well, in fact, Paul says, you know, he, he set forth it as an example but that's, that's a motivator for him. In other words, if God can save me, the chief of sinners, then um, he can save anybody. He's able. And if God would save me, why not save someone else? In other words, it, it gives him um, motive to, to uh, share the gospel with, with even those who seem to be the worst because uh, he sees himself in reality as the worst. That's important uh, in, in, in our relationship with our spouses to um, that we not see them, him or her, as the chief of sinners, but that I see me as the chief of sinners. A person with that view is going to be much more prone to extend grace. Some questions. On, on this, uh, on these thoughts, <clears throat> do I understand that I am a sinner just like my spouse is? Am I gracious toward my spouse? Do I treat my spouse the way that I want to be treated? Well, there's there's the basic, the golden rule, right? We treat others the way that we want to be treated? Do I treat my spouse the way that God treats me? Again, some great, for some great examples of that, uh, of course, you know, we all have personal example, but for some great examples of that in Scripture, just look at how God deals with His people, Old and New Testament. Just look at how God deals with um, people like Abraham, David, Peter, Okay, and then lastly, the focus of marriage, the glory of God. And we did, like I say, we, we did delve into this a little bit because there was no way not to in, in Ephesians 5 last time. But marriage, marriage uh, belongs to God. It exists 
it exists for him more than for us. How's that? Anybody want to answer that? If that's true, how, how is that true? Marriage belongs to God. It exists more for Him than for us. Is, is marriage something that He just blessed us with to, to, uh, to give us pleasure? Or, or, or is there more to it? Amen. Amen. Yeah, that's it. That's what Paul's laying out again in Ephesians five. That that that's um, Genesis one. You know, they're they're they are given. Um, God creates man and woman. He he gives them a uh, a mandate to be fruitful and multiply. Uh, you know, reflecting his uh, creating more and more of his image, reflecting his glory. But and then the, and then the marriage union in Genesis two. Um, for a man shall uh, leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife, and the two become one. Um, there's there's the, that one flesh union um, where where two, and we talked about this last time, but one plus, everybody who was here then, remember, one plus one is what? One, right. In the marriage relationship, one plus one is one. And Jesus quotes that in Matthew 19. Says this is the way it's been from the beginning. This is the way that God intended it. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Because again, it's intended to glorify Him, honor Him. Uh, so, so that's the real purpose in it. It does marriage does bring us great pleasure, but the ultimate purpose is to glorify God. So, um, there is something to pray for. Well, first of all, there, there is something to desire. I mean, each, each one of us as a Christian ought to desire to honor God in our marriage relationship. And if, and if we don't have that desire, then there is something to pray for. Or, uh, if we do have that desire, we still need God's help, don't we? So, so there is something to pray for. God, enable me to honor you. Enable me, enable my spouse. You know, grant us the desire to, to honor you and enable us to do it. We saw in the last point, uh, the, the gospel uh, gives us power to resist sin. So, um, it's design, it belongs to God. It's just something that He, that he has uh, blessed us with to enjoy, yes, but the ultimate purpose behind it is to bring glory to Him. That's the objective. So, it belongs, marriage belongs to God. It exists for Him more than for us. God is the most important person in a marriage. Marriage is for our good, but it is first for God's glory. So God is the most important person in our marriage. So in that sense, um, you can think of it as a threesome, right? God at the center. We must have a desire to honor God in our marriage. And why, why must we? <laughs> because, it's what, because it's what God designed it for, right? It's what He created it for. I, I remember um, years ago I was auditing a class at, at a Cranmer Theological House in, uh, in uh, 
I can't, the, the professor, and I forget even which one it was, I believe it was Curtis Crenshaw, but, but um, he articulated this so well, I wish I could remember it, but I can't remember it, how he said it. But uh, there was some, some talk, there was, you know, brought up the issue of homosexuality, and that's the way he approached it. You know, he was saying, you know, that this, one reason this is such an evil perversion, the main reason it's such an evil perversion is because it just distorts the picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. But now, that's also true of adultery, isn't it? I mean, it mars that image. But then, that's also true of just not doing what Paul says do in Ephesians 5. Submitting to one another according to the roles that God has put us in. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. If we don't do that, then, then what's happening is we are, we are marring that image of Christ in the church. What is supposed to be reflecting that reality and, and, and in doing so abounding to the glory of God Instead, it's like an assault on that reality. Because I'm telling the world, you know, the way that I treat my wife, this is, this is how Christ treats the church. It's kind of like a, a, a bad father, you know, a bad father dealing badly with his children. Same thing. You know, they, they say, whoever they is, you know, you hear these things, but they, researchers, researchers, that's an easy cop-out, right? Researchers say... <laughs> that usually uh, children get their impression of God from their father, the father figure. That's not, that's not by accident. That's not a mistake. Uh, I don't think. That's, that's way the way that God has designed it. It's the way he's hardwired us. Um, so if, 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 uh, if, if I fail, and, and, and of course I have uh, repeatedly, but when I, when I fail, let's say it that way, when I fail, what I'm doing is I'm destroying that picture. You know, my child is supposed to be getting the idea, this is how God is. And they probably are getting the idea, they're just getting the wrong idea. And onlookers, including my wife, they're supposed to be seeing, this is how God relates to His people. And, and they're getting a distorted perverted image. Well, it's the same way uh, with marriage and the relationship between Christ and the church. Um, it, it, marriage is, a, is about God more than it's about us. And, and it is designed to image the relationship between Christ and the church. So we need a desire um, to honor Him in our marriages and to pray toward that end. All right, just some questions for thought here. Is God glorified in the way I think about my spouse? You might think, well, that one doesn't matter because who else is going to know how you think? <laughs> well, God does, number one. But uh, also, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Proverbs says of the, of the wicked that um, as a man thinks, 
the miser as the man thinks in his heart, so is he. But I think that's pretty much true across the board, not only of the miser, the wicked, but of, of everybody. How we think is how we speak. And as I said, Jesus uh, definitely makes that clear. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, so how I think about my spouse is going to come out. The question is, is it going to glorify God? Is God, and besides that, um, the thinking itself does matter, right? Remember, remember what Jesus said about adultery? You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you even look at a woman, lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. So God takes account even when nobody else knows. So is God glorified in the way I think about my spouse? Oh, and by the way, again, all these matter because remember uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31? Whether you eat, drink, whatever you do, Paul says, do all to the glory of God. Second one, is God glorified in the way I speak about my spouse? And that could be to him or her or, um, as I have it here, about him or her. But i got two next. Is God honored in the way I speak to my spouse? And then last, is God honored in the way I act toward my spouse? Because marriage is designed to bring glory to God. In fact, um, everything is designed to bring glory to God. But as Christians, we, we are supposed to be submitted to that fact and, and uh, earnestly seeking uh, to glorify Him in all that we do. It's not, I mean, it's not enough just to, just to say it and pray it. Uh, there, there's got to be a desire to do it and, and uh, by the grace of God, uh, endeavor to do that. All right, any, any thoughts, comments? All right. Joe, will you mind praying for us? And we'll dismiss.